to episode six of the show that gives me the chance to spin the spotlight 180 degrees and speak to those who are usually asking the questions. This is the Tables Turn podcast. In today's show, the last one before we break for Christmas, I get the chance to speak to a broadcast journalist, voiceover artist and podcaster with 10 years experience in news and sport. She was one of the first females to be associated with TalkSport and has worked for Sky Sports, Sky News, Arsenal and Chelsea FC TV channels and the Premier League. You may also know her as one third of the highly acclaimed Offside Rule podcast alongside Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen. The show that's been running since 2012 is now part of Muddy Knees Media alongside the Totally Football Show. This week's guest is, of course, Kate Borsay. Kate is always a delight to speak to, and her route to where she is today has not been an easy one. It's come via drama school and a brief flirtation with fashion before entering sport at the infamous time of Keys and Grey at Sky, with barriers aplenty for talented female presenters, something that has fortunately changed in recent years. You'll hear stories of interviews with Phil Neville, Rafa Benitez, and a very awkward moment during a chat with Sir Sebastian Coe. You'll just have to listen on to find out what happened there. And how, despite all the interest in women's football and the successful year we have seen for the sport, getting sponsorship for a women's football podcast, like the Offside Rule, is still proving as frustrating as ever, perhaps even more so. It's a chat that's both fascinating and entertaining in equal measures. I love putting this together and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much. Thanks to Tom York from Playfinder for stepping in and kindly hosting us for this recording at their central London office. Playfinder are the UK's leading search and booking portal for recreational sports. So search for the Playfinder in your app store or head to playfinder.com to find out more. To kick things off, myself and Kate discussed our approaches to podcasts and the different types of show formats. Rather than challenge someone with a question, you, you, you're inviting them into the chats. And, you know, for us, the offside war is at its best when we are just chatting through a story and using our own experiences to help paint the picture. Because we've got different styles of podcasts mm. and this is you know, one-on-one interview style podcast, which yeah. you've done as well. Yeah. Versus the kind of round table yeah. discussion one, which yeah. is offside rule, totally football show and a few yeah. others is out of format. Which one do you prefer? Um, well, actually, oh, that's really hard because you have, when you do a round table, I mean, we, we, we have shared stories on our podcast that are... <laughs> Some, you know, we had Mina Rizuki in, um, who's a European football expert. Um, I'm sure a lot of your audience would have, would have heard of her if they're listening to this. And, you know, we, we speak about anything from having the hots for your Pilates instructor. I did listen to that one, yes. <laughs> to today, Faker Others revealing that, um, that she'd come across someone on the train who'd taken their shoes and socks off and put their bare feet up on I the saw seat. that photo on social media. Yeah, which is just ridiculous. So it is, it is football and it's life and it's, and it's a little bit about us. We still do the Offside World exclusive. So once every month, those, a bit like this chat we're having now, these, the, the long form interviews come out and I'm off to Liverpool tomorrow to go and interview John Barnes. And That'd we've got, yes, exactly. We've got a couple lined up actually over the next so few weeks. So how would you, how are you approaching that? Babe? Producer Abby phones them up, yes. goaded by me. Go <laughs> and then you get told, okay, on this day, we've got John Barnes. Can you go up to Liverpool, interview him? Yeah. Do you I have mean, a kind of then set in your mind, 
this is what I want to get out of it. And these are kind of the questions. What's your approach to it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I do my research on him. It has to be a chat. So with the Offside World exclusives, you've got big names in football being interviewed by normally by Lindsay and myself. Tomorrow it's just me because Lindsay's working. And that's fine by me because I'm a Liverpool fan. So I just get to hog John Barnes, which of course is massively satisfying. Um, And I think for me, I'll, I'll have a little idea. So, you know, one line for me is John Barnes is the first person you phone when a racism story breaks. And is that a good thing or a bad thing for him? Yeah, there was a bit of a debate stroke kind of controversy around that, wasn't there? There's certain people we go to just for these one types of stories. Yeah, yeah. And I think that we forget what an amazing, I mean, he is one of my Liverpool heroes. So I might, if if I'm a bit stuttery tomorrow, you know that I'm just like. That that Liverpool, even for coming from a United fan, that Liverpool team of kind of 87, 88. It's awesome. I mean, Digger Barnes, you know, he was, you know, this is the team that, that I grew up with. And I, I always think about news lines that we can generate because quite often lines from the exclusives podcasts are picked up by the press. We send out a media sheet and let them know what's been said. And, 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 and so you have to link to a few news stories, but the whole point of them, a bit like your podcast, Dan, is that it's, is that it, it's an evergreen piece of content. So we don't look at recent results. We don't put any pressure on ourselves to kind of this is my evidence, this and this and this and this tactical da da da. It's, it's about finding out about that person, about their life and about what they think about what's been happening in football today. Um, and it's just a really interesting chat. And sometimes you don't know, Lindsay and I went to go and interview Jermaine Defoe um, when he was at Bournemouth and we sort of rocked up and he, you know, it was lovely. And we sat down and the first thing he wanted to get off his chest was the accusation of him being a love rat and he just came straight into it. I mean, he literally, it's the first thing he said. It's probably the first opportunity he's had. Well, I think he's done a few interviews since then, but I think it's, I think it's, I it's think kind of, of the style rather than the kind yes, of who yeah, it is, it. Otherwise it is, it's going straight to press and it kind of gets warped. He doesn't yeah, trust them. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is the way you, you ask the questions and what you ask and that's, and that's obvious. And I think it is, it is also a little bit to do with the fact that we're not out for a cock contest you know, we're not willy wagging. We're not, it's just, it's a, it should be anyway, you know, really unintimidating chat around stuff that they might not necessarily rightly or wrongly think that they can speak to male journalists about. And that's where some of the really interesting lines come from. And that's why, you know, sometimes we finish them and the person says, God, I've, I've actually revealed too much to you. I'm just wondering if this is okay. <laughs> like, yeah, it's fine. Of course. <laughs> Do you ever get requests come back it. and go, you know that bit that I said? We had one. Yeah, yeah. Once. Yeah. And, but generally no. And I think we did Joe Hart early on and, and his so age. That got picked yeah. Up that got picked big. up a lot actually. It was, it was spot on timing wise. Yeah. Really yeah. It was. We, we, we had a really lucky break with timing because it, cause it was an, it came out just before an international break. So A, there aren't loads of football lines around. Um, and B, you know, Joe was still a possible contender for, for an England place having featured so heavily for them in the past. And his, you know, he, he, he was at West Ham by then. So it was the kind of lines about how, his conversations with Guardiola are gone, came out. And the fact he said he felt like a failure for England came out, you know, he felt like he'd never produced the performances for them. So it all tied in really nicely. And his agent said afterwards, you know, Joe really enjoyed that. He said, you know, forgive me saying this. He said, but you're not, you know, it isn't a bunch of dumb questions from a load of male journalists. And that's, that's no disrespect, but you know, obviously in our day job as 
as sports journalists, we have to get certain questions away. How did you feel about, you know, the, the, the result went, you know, it's, it's very formulaic, you know, you don't often get the chance to sit down with someone and just say, do you know what, let's just, let's, let's dissect this, spill it out. We're going to ask you some questions. You answer however you want. And if we don't feel that we've got enough, we might probe you, you know, a little bit more. And newspaper journalists do that a lot. You know, there's some such excellent profile and feature writers out there. Um, and we wanted to do a little, you know, a little bit of that via the podcast with a slightly different take and that, that we'd speak about life as well as football. With the podcast, because it started in 2012. So you've been going, what, seven years yeah. plus? When you first started, where did you think it would end up? Did you just have didn't. any idea? No, just didn't. I mean, I'd only just really started listening to podcasts and it was Lindsay who sort of said, I think we should be doing this. And she'd done a few episodes featuring, she did one with Laurie Sanchez, she did one with Chris Powell. Um, and within that podcast, she had a round table section and that's where, where, where I came in and we'd, we'd met each other, um, through this kind of weird presenter training agency type thing. So you all at Sky at the same time. Yeah. Though? But Lindsay and I'd met each other before then at, <laughs> at something called Top TV Academy, which sounds so ropey now, but it was, it was great because we were right at the beginning of our careers and it was advice from like former heads of Endemol and other really big production companies on how to pitch where the jobs might be, finding your way through, so like loads of support for you if you were, you know, a, a you know, young broadcaster starting out. And we met there and then we eventually ended up at Sky together. Um, so we knew we got on and then in the makeup room, Hayley McQueen had just started at Sky and I started chatting to her in the makeup room and I just said to Lindsay afterwards, like she's, she's our kind of girl. And we even say this now, you know, there, there, there are broadcasters and generally all the broadcasters that, that, that we have on are kind of our kind of people, you know, football and their life is, is just a, like, a, you know, really easy intrinsic thing. They're not out to be famous. They're not, they're, they're often quite experienced and they've, 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 they've got a bit of nous to them. And, and they're, they're just like us able to chat stuff <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, whether it's relevant or not to the football world, I suppose. So, yeah. So, so Hayley joined us and, and the podcast became more about under this sort of advisory of, of, of a, a really good producer that we've been working with, Heather, Heather Davis, who was kind of tearing up the BBC and she was in the 30 under 30 and she took a listen. She's like, I really like the round table element. I really think you've got something there. And it just sort of eventually turned into, a, well, let's just do women with this and we'll make it like it's a chat at the pub or a chat in the makeup room at Sky Sports before our shift. And we'll make this about football and about life and about the ridiculous stuff that goes on in football and the sort of stuff that we experience behind the scenes. And we called it the offside rule. We get it because of the keys and gray situation. Because that must have been a weird time with the cold keys and gray. Because I know Lindsay's spoken about it as well. Yeah. That, you know, it was still a weird environment, probably not too conducive to kind of to women being broadcasters. There was a sort of formulaic look you had to have. Mm. And I think Lindsay talks about, you know, that unless you had this certain look, then you potentially mm. weren't going to get a role mm. within the football, no matter what your knowledge was. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, we, we worked for Sky Sports Online and, and luckily we had a really supportive boss who commissioned a couple of ideas from us. We did a sporting chapters book show. We did a women in sports series for them, but trying to make our way through onto Sky Sports News, it, it just didn't happen. Um, and there are loads of, probably loads of different reasons why, and some of them will probably be relevant, but we didn't lack knowledge or skill. 
And, you know, TV execs do this all the time. If you're not the right fit to present Good Morning Britain, then you're not the right fit. And it happens. At that time in sport, there was a lack of women who did know what they were doing, being given opportunities. So we felt really frustrated at the time because we were like, what else do you want from us? You know, we work really freaking hard. We do a podcast in our spare time. We work really hard at this. We pitch ideas. And on the TV side, it was frustrating. But one thing that the kind of person in charge at Sky Sports News did at the time is he put me, pointed me in the direction of Sky News, probably just to stop me annoying him asking, <laughs> where was my opportunity? <laughs> Um, and I then started to do the sport on Sky News and I really loved that. And that was brilliant because I got to flex my muscles a bit more in that I was coming down into the studio, breaking stories live on air, having discussions with the on-air news presenter, as well as doing bulletins, but it was all on set that's now changed. But at that time I was like, well, you know, if you don't get an opportunity somewhere as frustrating as it is. And I believe that if Lindsay and I were at Sky Sports now, we would probably have had a different run of it. Um, so although that's a shame. We without, need those to break the mold. Yeah. That the next generation. Yeah. Come and, and, and we would never, we'd never have probably have done the podcast if we didn't feel so frustrated about having a voice. Um, and I would never have done Sky News and I really enjoyed that. And I, I do a lot more news stuff now and I, and I really love it. So you, you have to, I mean, what else can you be apart from saying, well, that wasn't meant to be. I felt probably more frustrated for Lindsay than, than myself, because although I, at that time had more TV studio experience, you know, Lindsay is a really good reporter. She's just one of the best. You know, she works for the Premier League and they totally recognise that. She's probably their lead female reporter. Um, not that it matters whether she's she is a lead reporter yeah, for them. And she's regardless. on the Amazon for this Christmas as well. Yeah. And, in the Amazon, that's and, how and, weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the Amazon. Um, and that's a completely different show. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and there's the, 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 there are a few broadcasters, you know, who are being supported like that now, which is really good. But back in those days, your break, sadly because Hayley did get her break through Sky Sports News and we knew she knew her stuff. So there was a, probably a series of factors as to why we didn't get the opportunity, but we probably, we wouldn't have fought so hard to make the podcast good and to keep it going if we were handed everything on a plate at Sky Sports News. What was your dream when you were, when you were small, when you were still growing up? <laughs> was, did you envisage kind of being on Sky Sports News or something like that? No, going I, into sports journalism? No, I never knew that sports journalism was a job. I mean, I just, I just didn't. My mum was, was a journalist as kind of one of her jobs. That makes her sound incredibly grand. She wrote some stuff for the local paper, but she was really, she's, she, she's really good with her words. My dad writes really well, but I, I wanted to be, I mean, I've, I've always loved fashion. I want to be a fashion designer. So if you look back at my books and stuff, there are just drawings, drawings and drawings and drawings of stuff of, you know, outfits and this and that, that and fabric samples and cutouts from magazines. And then I wanted to be an actress. I just loved performing. And I left school at 16 to, to go to drama school. And when I came to London, I'd, I'd supported Liverpool and that there's always been football in my family. My great, great, great uncle played for Manchester United. So there's all the football's always been there for us, but as has cricket as well, you, you know, a lot of sports, but I never really would have considered myself a big football fan or even an authority on it until I came to London. You know, I was really lucky to go to Euro 96 and it just completely caught me. It's completely caught me. And I, you know, and I started following Liverpool a lot more heavily and it just, I just caught the bug 
And sometimes you do. Sometimes it takes a while, right, in, in life to, to get the running bug if you, you know, if you run or you cycle now. And whereas I'd always loved and, and understood football, I never really got that real clamour for it until a little bit later on. Do you think that acting side has helped? Of course it has, I know yeah. speaking to Alex Legree and she went to acting school as yeah. well. And some of the things, especially learning scripts, those kinds of things yeah. that you're used to that a journalist is not brought up on yeah. can really set you apart and it makes life easier with certain things. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and look, I think, I think you've got to be careful because sport reporting, I've learned as I've got older that it isn't a performance Certain elements of reporting are because you've got to hit your mark. You you have to say your you have to say your bit. The stuff I love about about what we do now is not really got anything to do with performance. It's got to do with listening. And actually, funnily enough, I'm having a flashback now to sort of drama school where actually there are certain methods of acting where where they say if you listen, if if you're with a really good actor, you don't need to do anything other than listen and feel what they're doing and react because that's all we do in life, right? You're, you're sat there opposite me now reacting to what I'm saying and listening to me. And that, that's what acting is. That's true, like beautiful acting where it doesn't look like they're acting and you don't know whether they are or they aren't is just that. It's just being in that moment and, and listening and responding and working in the, in the natural rhythms that kind of humans communicate through. So yeah, sorry, that was a really long-winded sort of slightly wanky answer about acting. But um, <laughs> no, We love good stories. <laughs> I am really interested with the acting side as well. Because I do think, you know, it's an alternative route. You know, you haven't come through, I'm going to be a sports journalist, I'm, think, sports, I'm going to yeah. do a journalism course. Yeah. And then going through and doing your kind of yeah. taking well, I'll that tell route. You, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what happened, which will tell you a lot about my acting skills. Um, so I, I went to drama school. Um, the first time when I was 16 and I, I moved out of my sleepy Gloucestershire town and I moved to London and God bless my mum for letting me do that because I I only had some GCSEs to my name and, and she, and she let me come and she described me several years later as like a caged animal. And if I didn't let you go, you just would have gone and I would have lost you. I think I was so frustrated, so desperate to kind of grow up um, and so annoyed with this and small... And experience the, the big life out life. there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I am like you that. I love life. I love living in London. I love the vibe. I'm just, I just wanted it as soon as possible. Did you know what you were going to do when you got, well, obviously you went to drama yeah, school. Yeah, right? yeah. So I went to drama school and then I didn't really have a, have a plan. I applied for it. So I went and did a foundation course because I was 16 and it was, you're supposed to be 18 to do the course, but I managed, I think I just said to them, look, if you don't let me in, then I'm going to end up as a waitress or something like out of sheer frustration. Cause I'd been waitressing through my summer to kind of try and raise enough money to pay the fees for it. And so they let this little DM slightly goth, um, tie dye wearing 16 year old into this drama school in the middle of Whitechapel. You know, God knows what I was like. I think I, I think I probably, I, th I think I was told to just dial it back a few times actually, because I think I just thought I was 16 and I was, you know, probably desperate to prove a point. And the only option for me after that was to go on to a proper three-year drama course. So I applied for quite a few schools and I got quite far down, but, <laughs> but I'd lied about my age because you have to be 18 because it, it's like a university degree, right? So I, they got to a point where I was like, well, I can't keep faking. I can't just hope that it's okay because it isn't. And I started working in a shoe shop and then I got onto their management training scheme um, and it's a shoe shop called Faith Footwear, which people of a certain age will remember because of matching shoes and handbags. And we did the Spice Girl platforms and the big Buffalo Spice Girl trainers as well. And um, so you got into fashion. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah, exactly. So the whole fashion thing came back and I, and I became a fashion buyer for them. Eventually I was given a lot of responsibility at a very young age and I was traveling a lot at, at 21 
Um, my boss left and I was given, basically given a range plan for the season ahead that she'd, and she'd overbought by 46 million quid. And I was oh, wow. 19 and they were just like, you're going to have to start cancelling some of this. Okay. So first job as I wait for my new boss to arrive, which was like a month and a half was, you know, you've got this much time to cancel these orders before we incur penalties. So I had to phone up Brazilian suppliers and say, I'm really sorry, but the buyer's overcommitted and I'm, I need to cancel this. And there were loads of difficult conversations about how, how their factories were going to survive and stuff like that. that so th- there was a lot of that. And then my new boss came in and, and, and we had some fun, but I, I was done really. I was working this quite senior job when I was 21. And, and I think just the bug got me back and I was like, I, I don't want to be tied down to this really. Um, so yeah, so I went back to adult drama school and at the end we did a showcase and I, I did get some acting gigs off, off the back of it, but at the end we did a showcase and an agent came up to me and said, you'd make a really good presenter. And I was like, cheers for the endorsement in the acting skill. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I must've really been great. <laughs> I've probably spent months angsting over my performance for this showcase. But anyway, so I was like, all oh, right. Okay. And, and about a year later, I sort of thought maybe there's something to this. And by then satellite TV channels had kind of gone into the high numbers and there were all sorts of people popping up with, um, popping up with TV channels, interactive TV channels. And I did a couple of them and then got involved with talk sport. And that's where the sport thing started really. So how did the first presenting, sports presenting, how did that come about? So that was um, a company I was working for at the time had somehow linked up with TalkSport and they wanted to make a TV program of what happened on air. So it, there were really simple cameras installed in the studio, which was at, which was at Hatfields at that time. And they would basically take the radio show live and in the ad breaks and the news break, they would cut to me in the studio and, and other presenters, but we'd just, just all flying solo. They would cut to us in the studio and we'd recap results or we'd pick up on some of the talking points. And often the presenter of the radio shows at that time, it was Adrian Durham, um, Patrick Kinghorn. Oh God, this is going back. Um, and Rodney Marsh would, would pop into our sort of TV studio and we'd just have a little chat about stuff. And that was the start of TalkSport TV. It was, it was sponsored by William Hill, actually. It was, it lasted for about, I think it was about 16, 18 months. The best bit was when a piece of scenery fell on Jason Cundy's head. <laughs> That was probably the most entertaining thing about it. But what it did is it gave me a taste of hosting a show, I guess, having to stick to timings making sure that I had good forensic knowledge of what, of what was, you know, cause we'd be there on a Saturday, you know, with all the results coming in, you need to know the ramifications. So it was, yeah, God knows what I was like. I mean, I have no idea. It's probably it, a bit like listening back to your first podcast. And going, yeah, oh my God. That's yeah. Terrible. I mean, undoubtedly. Yeah. But I really got, really got on with all the team there. And and that I, gave you the bug as well. Yeah. I think it just, it just made it made it possible. Cause even then I don't think I'd really thought about being a sports journalist. It just so happened that, that the producer um, knew I liked football and said, well, you should, you should come on and give this a go. And that they had another presenter doing it who didn't like football. And it sort of became obvious that, that it was just what it wasn't going to work. And they just said, Oh, come in and do a week. And, and I just stayed there. I loved it. <laughs> Can you remember your first interview then? So we, at Sky, we had a show called Sporting Chapters and it, and it was kind of, um, Lindsay and my show and we, we, we pitched it and we basically got 
sports people who were authors who were, who'd written a book to, to, to come in and it, and it was like a you know, it was a great gig for Sky because we didn't pay them to come in and they would sit with us for like sort of 40 minutes and talk about their kind of life and times. And we got to interview, I mean, loads of people for that. Like Jimmy Connors, Rafa Benitez. Yeah, Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Connors uh, Rafa, been I mean, Rafa being, being oh, right. a Liverpool fan, I said yeah. to him before, I'm a little bit nervous about this because I am just massively in awe of you. And he was super lovely. And, and afterwards he said, he, he told me something about the kind of the Man U gate that had, that had gone on. Um, and he, he told me a little something about, he, he, you know, he said, you can't, can't ever repeat this, but I'm telling you now that this is what happened. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but in that, in, in that interview series, yeah, there was, <laughs> so I, I, I can give you the most awkward moment of that. So I had to, it was my job to take on Sebco, love athletics, big appreciation for Sebco. He was obviously doing a lot with, He'd done a lot with the Olympic bid and everything else. And he was um, at that time, I think, in line to whatever he was doing. Was he chairing or he was, he was going going into a role at the British Olympic Association from memory? He, he'd released this book and he's obviously had a political career as well. This book, I mean, my God, it was a lot. It was a tomb. It was massive. <laughs> and and we religiously read every book of the person who we, who we interviewed. We really wanted to do that as kind of a mark of respect as well, really. And um, I'd also interviewed Fatima Whitbread like a couple of months earlier. And she'd written about the point um, at the Moscow Olympics in 1980 when Seb had, had got a silver medal in the 800 and had basically fallen apart because I think he was then the sort of um, flag bearer captain of the team and great things were expected of Seb at that, at that Olympics. And he only got a silver. And I think, you know, he describes it as like one of the worst tactically run races that he's ever won. And the, the big story is he then went to run the 1500 and he, and, and, and he got gold. But but she described how she'd gone up to see Seb in his room and all the curtains were drawn, blacked out. And he was on his bed. He was in kind of a state of depression. And she described it all. And there was no reason for her to make it up. So when I chatted to him, I thought, oh, I'll just mention that to him. Anyway, <laughs> God. The look on his face when I said, oh, and you know, Fatima, you know, told me that, that she's gone up and the curtains are drawn and he, his whole demeanor changed. And he just, he just went, what, what? Like this, like, like really, and I'm launching myself towards you now as I remember this. And when you're interviewing someone or, or in any situation, you know, you have that sinking feeling and you think, oh my God, have I got it wrong? I mean, he, he literally turned to his PR and said, I mean, this is just getting ridiculous now. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to walk out. <laughs> Crap. And I think I said, it's okay. We'll, we'll cut that bit. My bad. Anyway, I know that that's what happened, but he did not like it when I insinuated that there might have been a humane, vulnerable <laughs> side to him. Yes, he's got, he's got very much a polished image, it hasn't he? absolutely it? scared me stiff. And that, that also told me that I probably asked the right question, right? Yeah. Because... Uh, but yeah, that, that was... Imagine you just go into kind of a panic of, oh my God, what do I do next? How do I bring this back? Yeah. He did stay. And I think I just said, oh, it's, we can sort of delete. That's fine. I must've, I must've, um, and I think he then said, oh no, Fatima, Fatima's got that, got that wrong. Like this. And I said, oh yes, fine, fine, fine. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, yeah. Cause I just, and, and it was one of those moments. I was probably, I've probably asked questions that have annoyed people before, but he just did not lie. His face did not lie. <laughs> do you often have questions in there that you think, not quite sure how this is going to go, but I'd like yeah, to loads. try it. Yeah, we, we interviewed Phil Neville at the end of last season before the Women's World Cup. And I asked a few cheeky questions in there and sort of said, you know, look, 
if this goes wrong, you could really mess up women's football in this country. And he was like, well, that's a fair point, actually. I mean, you know, Phil, for, for kind of all his sometimes strange choice of words and sound bites, he does always answer your question. And yeah, um, sometimes, but, but I think it, a, a lot of it is in the way you ask it and you have to read the person who you're interviewing and you have to sort of guess what they're going to do. But at the same time, they are there to be interviewed as well, right? So if it gets to the point where it's ridiculous, then they will or should have a way of telling you that actually move on, please. With Offside Rule, last time I spoke to yourself and Lindsay a couple of years ago, you would cut down to one a month mm. and you were just an exclusive. So mm. you're doing the big interviews with yeah. Joe Hart or Jermaine Defoe's yeah. and not quite sure where it was all going to go. <laughs> That's true. When did the whole Muddy Knees thing come about? Thing come about and how did that come about? Well, Muddy Knees um, are Totally Football Show. So Muddy Knees is the production company who produced Totally Football Show, but they also do loads of other football podcasts. They do the Totally League Show, Totally Scottish Show. You can see a theme appearing now. But they also do a show called Series Links. They do a history podcast now. So they also do kind of non-sport stuff as well. And Ian, who's the sort of CEO, big boss guy there, Ian McIntosh, we'd known for quite some time anyway and talked to him a lot before about lack of women in football, lack of female writers. As Ian, um, Ian used to be a kind of an on-the-beat writer. But Lindsay was in doing the Totally show and Muddy Knees was quite new at that point. And she just kind of got a feeling that they might be interested in doing something with us or might be looking for kind of some, some sort of new stuff. Um, and it had been really frustrating up, up to that point because we'd, we'd done the stuff with HTC. We'd, we'd done the stuff at the Women's World Cup in 2015 where, where Audio Boom sent us out there to get stuff. And honestly, you know, it was a tricky few years really coming into that. And we did get to the stage where we knew what we were doing was good. We really needed some support um, and it was difficult because it's a time ratio thing, isn't it? If you're only doing them once a month and that's fair enough, but if you've only got a few days a month to dedicate to it, cause you're not being paid anything for it, you know, we'd, we'd, we've been doing it for a, a very long time and you know, by no means are we recompensed for the time that we put in now, but, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay. Cause of all the good stuff that comes of it. But Muddy Knees came in and just said, we really like it. And we have to thank Ian McIntosh for that because at that time we had no sponsor or anything. And I think he saw, he saw that, 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 that there was a market there, that there was a USP to what we did and we were respected journalists. And he also knew that the Women's World Cup was coming up as well this summer. So the, the, the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And he took us on and very quickly organized some sponsors so that we could make a, make a daily Women's World Cup show podcast, which we loved and which was brilliant because Five Live were doing bits, but ours was a, you know, dedicated show full of information about it and, you know, really good guests. Lindsay was out in France and I was here. And it just meant that that took us to another level. And I have to say now, you know, we, we, we also then launched a WSL edition. So we have two podcasts a week and there's a, there's a show called the, the, the offside rule WSL edition, which is a really good women's football show, a bit more technical than, than the offside rule. Um, a little, a little bit more analysis and kind of a deep dive into it because not that many people are doing it. And so we can, so that there's our kind of corner of the market along with speaking to former players, current players, journalists, you know, really good insight, but it's bonkers because that show still isn't sponsored. So with all the talk around women's sports at the moment yeah. and the growth of it and all the brands coming into it, it's still crazy, isn't not it? Quite it's not an happening. expensive show to sponsor. And it's a bit like 
we come off the back of the World Cup. And we really believe in the show. We know it's a good show, really good show. And our, our producer, Abby Patterson, is excellent. You know, she's great at what she does. And we all really believe in it, as do our guests who are who always come on. You know, no, no one turns us down. It's great. You know, we, we really want to do it. And, um, you know, you, you go to some things to do with women's football and, and the investment is a bit misguided. It's a bit because it's, it's, it's sometimes early to be putting on big events and putting plowing tens of thousands of pounds behind big events. Uh, other times it works. You, you go to the box park, you know, Wembley before the, um, before the England Germany game. And it's, it's just pumping, you know, it's absolutely brilliant. There is some really good stuff going on out there, but it is frustrating because you think, you know, visa, yes, we're totally supporting women's football. And I know that they're supporting women's football, but here's a podcast that no one else is doing with some of the best journalists, former players, current players on it. And you think, my God, what does it, what does it take? I mean, hopefully that is going to change soon, but I have to take my hat off to Muddy Knees because they are funding it. We don't have to, but they are, they're Those not. believe in it as much yeah, as you do. They're not cash rich either. You know, they, you know, they, they are a young growing company and they, and they've totally backed it. And so, you know, for that, I will always have a massive debt of gratitude to Ian and the guys at Muddy Knees. And I really hope that, that, that we can resolve that sponsorship situation soon because I know it's all that anyone bangs on about podcasts for, but you know, in this case, it does genuinely perplex me as to why something that's relatively cheap to sponsor that you can put your name on front and back and in the middle, if you want, you know, why, you know, why that's such a tough ask. I'm sure someone will soon. Hopefully someone even listening to this, those few people out there. Um, I just wanted to finish up because I know you're pressed for time and got to get going. I just want to say a couple of things and each one, just the first thing that comes into your mind. Oh my God. They're not too bad. Okay. Honestly. First one's a nice one. Um, Sir Viv Richards. Legend. Uh, I've interviewed him. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is. Was, yes. I saw that one. I was just like, oh, that must have been amazing. Yeah. He's really, really good fun. Really, really, like really good fun. Makes me smile when I think about him. Great guy. Okay. The next one's a bit left field. The exit list. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why I was hired to make the exit list? So uh, I was the voice of the computer for the exit list, which was this game show on ITV. And it was at the time when ITV was desperately trying to find game show formats and they, and I, and I do a lot of voiceover stuff and they hired me as kind of a sexy robot computer. So I went to what, whilst this gig was going on over like a two week period when they, they filmed all the episodes back to back, it was um, Matt Allwright, you know, the kind of um, rogue traders guy presenting it. And they sat me in a booth at Shepperton Studios, I think it was, was it Shepperton? One of those. And I would literally have to read off the lists that, that the contestants had gathered. And at every opportunity, there would be words like beaver and <laughs> nice. And uh, what else did they do to me? Um, I, can't, I can't, but like, like just, <laughs> just words like that. I don't, I've never really spoken about, the, about this before, but it was, it was a really nice crew. But yeah, I was literally hired, nothing to do with sport or any area of expertise. You would love the description that I found on this as well. Is a, the dull frosted voice of the memory maze. <laughs> there you go, folks. The dull frosted yes. voice. Yeah. I did too. They, they can be found on YouTube. Can they really? Yes, in full. Oh, the other one was... Sausage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, fantastic. So I think people ought to be Googling it now. Yes. Right. On that note, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure <laughs> sitting you. down with you again. Thank you. Thanks to Kate for her time and Playfinder for hosting us. I really took from this chat about how determination and perseverance can really pay dividends. But you have to be prepared to play the long game. And then it's not just about what you do in your nine to five job. But having the courage to go out and start something like the Offside Rule podcast, showcase what you can do in your own time, is a great way to get yourself ahead of the game. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and what you took from it. Get in touch on Twitter at Daniel McLaren and Instagram at Daniel J. McLaren or at Tables Turn Podcast. Or head to our anchor page and leave a voice message on there. Thanks for getting through to the end. Remember to subscribe or follow us so you don't miss any of the exciting ones coming up. And check the other podcasts in the series as well, if you haven't already. Including ones with David Garrido, Faker Others, Richard Gillis and The Creative Rebels. Thank you for listening. Please take care of yourself. Enjoy the Christmas holidays and I'll be back again in the new year.